birthday, that Camino, mm -hmm. was me filling up my battery so that I was ready for the next decade, which was absolutely, I don't know what the word is other than to say that it has really shaped me. It has I have been on my knees and I have been I've had the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. And um, I always say that um, I questioned my faith, I questioned everything because I felt like I was down and I kept reaching for help and there was nobody to help me, nobody was there. And when I came out the other side, I felt like um, I know why, because I actually needed to get up by myself. I needed to find that core inner strength to be able to do that. I know you've been through a lot too. Um, yes. So I think I think that kind of for me that time was. Um, I think that I would have lost hope, and I, I felt I, I think I would have been in a really different place than I am now if I hadn't um, experienced the synchronicity, the magic, the the hand of God really in that Camino. I knew that there was something greater, something more. And at times when I felt my lowest, that kept me going. Whatever it is that you've been through, I hope you have. Wow, that is so beautiful. We didn't even probably start the show, but um, <laughs> I'm gonna take some of that and put it in. But uh, So I'm Arlene J. M. Grant, and today my guest is Manuela. Manuela, how do I probably pronounce your last name? Mavro Michalis. It's Greek. It means Mavro, which is black, and Michalis, which is Michael. So Black Michael. Black Michael. Okay. So Manuela is someone I met in France, in Lourdes, France, 11 years ago. And I was there on a journey, and so was Manuela. So Manuela, can you tell us about your journey? What, what were you doing there? Who are you? I just, um, I wanted to do something to mark my 40th birthday. And um, I had read um, Paolo Coelho's book, um, the, the Pilgrimage. And I had read it hmm, maybe at least a decade earlier. And I said, for my 40th, this is what I'm going to do. And I didn't really think much of it. And then um, I met this really beautiful human being called Davina, um, who is half Spanish, half Greek, uh, born in the UK and raised in, in England. And we met in Bahrain in the Middle East where we were both working. And um, I mentioned to her that I'd read this book and I said, oh, I really want to do this for my 40th. And she said, oh my goodness, this is where my family's from, Galicia. This is where, you know, you know, it all ends. The Camino ends right there. Um, and um, I, I was like, oh, what's the odds of that? Well, you know, years later, it's coming up to my 40th and Davina goes, are we doing this? <laughs> and I was like, oh my goodness, really? <laughs> I have an adventurous spirit, but I haven't really, uh, um, I've never done very bold things um, in that way um, because I have no sense of direction. And I always was worried that I would get lost anywhere that I would go because I always do get lost. Um, but Davina was determined and she said, come on, Manuela, go online, book your ticket. And as soon as you've booked it, I'll book it too. 
So at least, you know, you're not going by yourself. It'll be the two of us. And then we'll invite all your friends. So I did it. And I was so kind of like very, very excited about doing it. And then I just sent out a message and then Davina booked her ticket. And then um, she, um, I sent a message out and it became 10 of us that were going, 10 women on this journey. And we talked about it. Um, we had young kids, so of course we couldn't do the whole pilgrimage. We could only do a section of it. So we sat and talked and I said, well, I want to do the beginning and the end. And in the middle, you guys decide what you want to do. But I do want to go over the Pyrenees and I do want to arrive in Santiago. Um, so anything in between <laughs> is fine. Anyway, um, it was the most magical experience of my life and I can only describe it as magical and I'm not just saying that I mean literally there were moments which um, were sublime which were um, just the you know Carl Jung talks about it when he talks about the synchronicity of things it was like that and it and it kind of really it was really interesting because we were not um, a, a group of div, um, devout Christians not at all there were Muslims in the group there were atheists in the group there were you know um, it just was that we came together with a common the common idea that we were going to walk and through it it was going to be some kind of a spiritual experience but we were very open to how that would that would play out and um i had i had talked about you know the slowing down because the camino is not about getting to the destination actually it is the journey and it is taking it slowly so that you can absorb the scenery and look around and just kind of have the experience of that so we would start the day with a prayer and end it with something that somebody that everybody would bring you know different experiences so it might be a meditation it might be just a poem it might be a piece of music we just decided we were going to edit and stop begin and end the day like that um <clears throat> so um yeah that was my 40th year was a magical year um i I, I look at it and I go, not only was that journeying, um, I started to write at that time and I'd never written Ernest in any way. I hadn't really thought of, um, you know, I'm a child of immigrants. My parents met in England, in London, and they barely had any money. So, you know, when you're raising kids as immigrants, you're not really thinking about careers as an artist. You're thinking about nuts and bolts jobs you're going to become a teacher, a hairdresser, a this, that, you know, things that you know you're going to get a, a salary. So um, the fact that my parents um, allowed me to go and study art was very big. Um, I think I can pinpoint it being raised by my mother who bake every single time. <laughs> there was always toast at her house. She would make black forest toast, she would make bread, she would make yogurt, she would make cookies, Greek cookies. Her house was constantly full of things. But she never quite got, could follow a recipe. So things would collapse, these beautiful gateaus would collapse and somehow she would bring it all together with ribbons, with toothpicks, with this, that and the other, or she'd save the day. And she never doubted that she could you know fix the cake um fix whatever it was so i kind of grown up with the whole idea that you can throw things together and it will all work out it will all work out and that is a wonderful kind of way to be raised because it then um it, it goes into every area of your life and so when i started to paint intuitively the idea was to just surrender to the process and allow um, yourself to be almost a vessel of the creative energy and um so I think who I am is just 
a, a human being who is loves to paint and loves to write um, and is searching for the meaning in life and for the meaning to all that we do and, and knowing um, that it's only through that surrender and trust that you can actually discover that and through giving. <clears throat> so um, the way that I give is through teaching and through you know my family like through my children raising my children and I hope that you know I've always my biggest wish was always to raise children that were an asset to this world and not a problem um, and citizens beautiful citizens um, and um, they really are wonderful human beings <laughs> I'm very proud of them I think so um, so who I am is an artist and a writer and I do it all intuitively and I do it and I kind of trust as I go along, hoping that things will work out. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, I think they are working out. Now, we were talking before we officially started the show, we were talking about indulging and taking care of yourself. And you made a reference to Jesus and the perfuming of the feet and how we need to do things. Can you talk more about that? Um, well, I had the most fantastic 40th year um, in which I went on that journey, which was very, very important because I, I knew how it could be. What I didn't mention about that journey and about the synchronicity and the magic that happened um, was that I kept thinking, I have read the Bible and I was raised in a Christian household and I'm um, but a kind of not traditional Christian in that I'm quite pluralistic and I was raised in the Middle East with Muslims around me with the call for prayer kind of it makes it when I hear the call for prayer it does something to my heart that jumps I feel wow that's so beautiful you know um, and my friends were Buddhists and Hindus and Sikhs and you know that's just the life in the Middle East you're just in a multicultural society so that is that's all part of parcel of who you are so when my father would be invited to a, a, one of his colleagues would be at the Sikh temple and there'd be something they'd invite us to celebrate with them or if um, you know we had Hindu friends um, celebrating Diwali we celebrated with them and when we celebrated Christmas at our home all these friends would come to our home and they would sing carols with us so when I was on the Camino when everything was kind of working out it made me think of um, the passage in the Bible that says where two or three are gathered in my name there am I and I really felt like here we are and when when Jesus says in my name he means in the divine in something greater in that and it's that whole coming together the collective consciousness the 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 it's what you feel in a concert when you all love the same singer and that unity it's um when you're at a protest rally and you know that there's something just in what you're trying to achieve there it's us coming together and the power of that um and for me that's god that is god all of us coming together so um when i had that year when all of this magic was happening when I was painting intuitively and writing I started to write a novel um, and I had no idea how I was going to write this I had to write but I just trusted in the process and I wrote intuitively um, and uh, so I was writing and painting and teaching and I'd had this amazing holiday with these beautiful women and there was that whole sisterhood kind of felt like it was just magic um, then I had a very dark um, a dark period in my life in which I really was on my knees 
and I felt like I, I couldn't, I didn't know how I was going to come through. I felt so alone and so um, depleted. And um, that's where I found poetry, actually. That's a whole other story. But when I came out of it using poetry, um, I realized that I needed to learn. I needed to build the muscles in order to be able to stand up, to get up and stand up using my own muscles by myself that I couldn't use anybody as a crutch and I couldn't blame anybody so there was no blame and there was no help it was I had to go within myself and um, there were times when I was kind of going you know where are you God where are you you know you're supposed to be there to be supporting me and I just felt like there was he wasn't there you know there's no God there is no God how can there be a God and this is going on um, and then when I came out of it I really, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine <clears throat> and I said, you know, and it came to me as I was talking to her and I said, you know, um, all those little, um, um, all those little things that they're, you know, extravagances, the things that you think, no, I should be saving now. I sh and, and you should, you should be saving, you know, for the rainy day, you should be, but you also have to kind of fill yourself up so you've got to receive all the blessings. you know it's that what we always talk about you know you can't give if your cup is not full if it's depleted what can you give but actually sometimes you have to kind of give yourself in 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 the way of this trip that for my 40th was an expensive gift um, to myself and as a family we couldn't really afford it at the time but my husband was like no you should do this you should really do this you know you've you've you know, life will pass and there will only be regrets that you didn't do this. So I did. But when, when I came to my darkest times, I realized that this is where I drew my strength from because I knew there was another way. It wasn't all dark and it wasn't all, um, I knew that magic did exist. I knew that there was something greater out there, you know? And so sometimes you have to do that. And, and, and we were talking and I said, it reminded me of Mary Magdalene um, washing Jesus's feet and anointed him with scented oils and that was considered so extravagant and the disciples said we could have sold that we've got all this money we could have fed poor people we, sometimes and and jesus said let, let it let her be you know and that it was only right that he was doing this for for him because he knew the bigger picture which was that later on you know he was going to be crucified and buried and and what have you and that this was she was honoring him and um, from that story, I get the whole idea of not only honoring others, but honoring oneself and gifting oneself. Sometimes these, these, these things are considered extravagant, but become vital in you being able to hold on to a sense of self and, and to hope and to hope, you know? Yeah, I, I agree with that 100%. Um, couple things. One, with the uh, breaking of the perfume on Jesus' feet. So when we perfume ourselves, we do that self-care. It's important, like you, you, you said before we got on about me having some challenges that I experienced. And the greatest challenge most recently was the passing of my father. And I ended up, you know, having to rework life because things got crazy. They broke into my house. Different things happened, like, right after in quick succession. And I thought, what can I do? And so God just put it in my heart to go and see the world. So I went to Iceland. I'd already been before. I went to Denmark. I went to Sweden. 
I went to New Zealand, I went to Israel, and I went to different parts of the US. Um, and it was healing. You know, some might say, wow, that was really extravagant of you to do that. And I'm like, but you know what? I needed some new memories and I needed those experiences to heal. And I'm so glad that I did it last year because this year, where could I go? Last year, this yeah. healing, you know, um, and I'm so glad that I did go. It gave me the strength that I can rely on now to say, okay, there is better, there is bigger, there is more, yes. right? I think that's what you're saying. Absolutely. And it's not necessarily- That's what I'm saying. Yeah, it's not even necessarily a trip. It might be, you know, sitting outside under a tree while, you know, there might be something else pulling your attention, but you need to ground yourself, right? Yes, there's definitely a grounding to that. But I mean, I think now with the coronavirus um, pandemic, where we're all staying at home and everything has slowed down, I think we're really understanding what a luxury it is to be still. Another verse from the Bible, which I've carried in my mind over and over again, be still and know that I am Lord. You know, the whole idea of actually being able to connect to the divine in any way, it happens in stillness. Yes. It really does happen in stillness. Yes. And that divine might be, you know, how divine is it to be with your family? How divine is it for us to all cook together and to just sit and talk and to not have to go anywhere, to not be pulled in any direction? How divine is it to be able to get on a Zoom talk like this and know that we all available for each other and you know and you know even before I got on with you I was just sitting and writing a poem and I wasn't feeling in any way oh I should be doing this that and the other I'm just gonna write a poem because I feel like writing a poem right now <laughs> you know and it's the it's giving yourself the gift of time and stillness yeah I do see it as a gift you know I was talking to different people and I said a lot of people are panicking and feeling angst and upset about what's happening and for some reason I don't feel that way I know no, there are bad things sorry no neither do I yeah I know there are bad things happening but I have such a peace and I've been creating I make these two paintings behind you um, or behind me I should say that you can see but I was painting one day it was just like paint and I do paint um, and I just started like, layering the board and you know in a couple hours I was done and I felt such a healing and a peace and I hadn't painted in over a year and I thought okay this was a moment to be still this podcast is something that was in my mind two years ago almost and finally through this stilling it's like okay let me do it and it's just working seamlessly like the, the door was set, you know, I think about the environment and how it's improving that we're not, you know, out there with our cars and the combustion, you know. No, and I think it, it really matters because there, nobody can deny that our, um, our impact on the planet is, you know, is what's uh, causing all the problems and therefore when we slow down, then we allow the planet to heal. And so isn't that, I mean, if we slow down and we heal, when we are ill, don't we get, don't we go to bed? Don't we rest? Don't we take our time off? I mean, it's kind of like we've done, we've given the planet a bed rest, you know, yeah. allowing them to catch up and heal. So, I mean, I know a lot of people are dying and I don't want to downplay that in any way, shape or form. Um, 
because it's tragic and you know my parents are older and I worry about them because they are in that vulnerable uh, bracket and you know I have friends who have um, blood disorders and various different things that they're very vulnerable and so I worry about them I'm concerned however um, nothing is black and white you know for every good there's you know there's a shadow there's light there's you know so even in the worst of times, there are, there are positive things too. And, and a part of us being um, these human is our adaptability and our ability to see um, the, pos the pros and cons and the positives and the negatives, see both sides, you know? Yes, I do. And I agree with you. Um, it's interesting. I feel like um, there's an opportunity, and I agree with you about the stillness, but also think there's an opportunity to revive within. Strengthening families, yes, but also reviving within. I can't, I, like, I, I can't quite put it in proper words to say what I'm feeling, but it's just, you know, in Hebrew, they say the shalom, the peace. There's like this, this peace that surpasses all understanding. That's it. It's the piece that surpasses all understanding because in a logical way, you should be like, oh no, this is not peaceful at all. But there is a piece that surpasses all understanding. I kind of, I, I don't know if I formulated the full thought yet, but I have been thinking about the idea that if we believe that there is a great creator, um, then, and that we are created in his image, then the great creator is an artist, is pure creativity. That is what, you know, the creator is, right? And so if we're creating his image, then that is intrinsically who we are. We are creators, we're creators ourselves. And therefore, when we do not create, we are stunted, we are closed. And in order to open up and feel and to be present within ourselves, um, we need to be creating because creativity and nature but creativity kind of allows you to kind of glimpse the divine and of that story for hours or sometimes days um, and sometimes when you are creating yourself it can actually feel a bit paranormal like sometimes when I'm writing poetry I write and it's just and you think how did I just write that the entire poem from beginning to end word for word and it, it just came from within me and it feels so more than me and I and I don't even remember how I did it sometimes it's kind of very hard and mulish and each word you're editing and re-editing but sometimes it's just like this divine um, experience and I think that is essential to our well-being the, the to be creative and and to feel that there is sometimes something more than us some something transcendent and i think you can also experience that in nature so when you're standing at the top of a mountain and you that something is awesome and so we as human beings need need transcendent moments in our lives we don't actually have to be religious at all to experience any of this you don't have to believe in god at all i mean even the theory of evolution the idea of how we've adapted and changed is just again the story of creation really isn't it and therefore it's in our dna to be creating ourselves to fit our environment and to um to become more to become more so yeah i think that in this time um we're seeing a lot of people um 
being lit up again, that reigniting that fire that they have within, that we all have within us. And we're just not taking care. We're not, you know, fanning the flame at all. We're just kind of letting it become so dim and sometimes even completely extinguished. I don't know if you can actually, maybe you can't extinguish it completely. I don't know. As, as I said, I haven't really formulated it completely. I'm still thinking and about it. Thinking is good. Thinking is good. <laughs> Especially now. I, I spend a lot of time in meditation and prayer. Um, but I, I had a couple questions about some of the things that you were saying. Um, one about the flame and extinguishing it. I was reading yesterday in the Torah about the the flame and how it is God's flame is eternal, right? So that flame being alive within us, you know, whatever you believe, I mean, whatever created you and brought you here is a flame. It's a life force, right? And I think that that yeah. life force can never be fully extinguished. And so maybe this authenticity that is starting to come forth is from people connecting to their true selves. You know, that, uh, that, that stillness, that fire within them is connecting with the fire that made them. Make sense? I think, I've just written down the word connection. I think um, Brene Brown, have you read any of her? Um, she talks about um, the power of vulnerability and that, you know, the only reason she says that we are here is to connect. So it comes back to the where two or three are gathered, there am I. So if we are to live fulfilling lives, we have to connect. And the, the, the way that it's, it's the paradox, isn't it? That in being put into our houses and not allowed to connect with this virus, we've actually done more connecting than we've ever done. And that has lit the fire within us, actually, because we understand we've got our priorities right for a change. You know, we're, we've kind of been lost in this, in this, in this world of, of stuff, stuff, which is not remotely gratifying because once you acquire stuff, there's more stuff and more stuff and more stuff. So very true to connect. And the words that you used was authenticity with authentic with ourselves, but we also need to connect with one another. Because sometimes what we need is to have a mirror held before us. And that's the service that we do one to another through our relationships with mother and father and child, um, brothers and sisters, partners, um, cousins, the, the whole community that we have, friends. And then we also see ourselves that are, we take kind of connecting. Okay. Good. So you were talking about connecting and the power of connecting and, and creating. And you've offered a lot of really insightful information. I wanted to talk a bit about what you've done because you have such an impressive bio. You've worked with refugees. You've done, you've completed a novel recently. I know you talked about starting the novel. Um, we didn't really talk about the conditions of that walk that you made. I know that those conditions were harsh during that time. Um, so tell me a couple things about that walk, the conditions that you were under, because you did that in February in France. And yeah, over the Pyrenees. Yeah. Well, um, I, you have to know that Davina, who really kind of was the head of this expedition, um, is a personal trainer and she backpacked all throughout Asia. So she kind of, she's just, 
she's just a force to be reckoned with anyway. So um, she was, um, the conditions were that it was snowing in the Pyrenees and that a lot of the trails were closed and there was only two young 20-somethings from Montreal and one guy from Taiwan who were on the Camino and that's rare because the Camino is usually lots and lots of people but I wanted to do it on my birthday my birthday was February the 1st so it, I wanted it to be close to my birthday and I didn't want it to be full of people I just felt like I can't, couldn't be in nature couldn't I needed if I was going to be still through walking if I was going to connect and have a spiritual journey I, I, I thought there were going to be too many distractions if it was at another time of the year and it was absolutely magnificent really when we started to go we started at Saint-Jean-Pierre port at the foot of the Pyrenees and it was raining and as we started going up it started to snow to give you an example of you know the magic um, at some point we got very very tired and hungry so we decided that we would stop on this little wall on the side of the path on the mountain and have a little snack and a drink and <laughs> and it just stopped as soon as we sat on that wall it stopped it stopped snowing completely. The sun came out. It became like the most balmy summer's day. <laughs> and we were eating and drinking. And this puppy, this golden retriever, I think it was, just came from some village home up in the mountains and came and was playing with us. And then we finished eating and we started, we prepared to sort. And the minute we started walking, the sun left and it started to snow again. And I remember looking up to the heavens and going, now you're just showing off, you know? <laughs> but I just, it was almost like I expected it because everything was like that on the, on the pilgrimage, you know, it was always that magic. Um, so when we were walking, it just got darker and it was, there was a storm brewing. It became evident that we really needed to get to Roncevalles, which was day one of the pilgrimage. We needed to get to Roncevalles as fast as we could, but we stopped to have lunch somebody called at the restaurant and they said there um there's a phone call for you ladies and we're like we don't know anybody here who'd be calling us and it was the inn at Roncevalles and they were calling to say we heard that there were 10 crazy women poco loco <laughs> uh, uh, and uh they do you are you going to be staying with us and but we'd already booked someone else so we said no and um then um we had the villagers who were all looking out for us because they knew that it was insane to be walking over the mountains like this. Then a police man on with his car and he found us and he said, you have to be off the mountain within so many hours. Otherwise I'm taking you because there's a storm coming. You can't be out in this. So, you know, in the end, what ended up happening is some of us walked the rest of the way and some got into the car and and left there was no pressure on how we were going to do it there was no right or wrong there's no right or wrong way to do the camino it's just whatever you were comfortable with so that's what we so the conditions were harsh but there was there was so much magic davina had a first aid kit with her and um i tell you something if i was ever in a situation of life or death she would be my chosen person to be with because i know she would just she's so physically strong and mentally strong i knew she would just be she'd take care of us and she kept saying that it, it just in and can i just say that she's not a particularly religious person at all and she just said i just felt like i had archangel um michael michael with me the whole time like i had his wings on my back pushing me forward which is 
for somebody who's, I mean, I'm not saying she's not spiritual, not at all. I'm just saying that that's not her thing. Um, but she said, I just felt the archangel was protecting us and was with us the whole way. And actually at the end of the Camino, we got her an icon of the archangel, Michael, as a gift because she was tremendous in keeping us together and keeping, oh, I, I would, she would say to me, how do you want to do this? I said, oh, you know, <laughs> I'm gonna just kind of we arrive here and then we'll get on the bus whatever bus there is and she was like right right and I had no idea she'd memorized the bus schedules because oh. I was being hippy dippy you know like just dippy hippy you know like oh we get there and we'll just see how the journey takes us just like yeah we're not doing that <laughs> so that was the that was the Camino was some extraordinary women coming together and um, the universe aligning and and making the most wonder i mean hard conditions at the beginning but you know even when we were arriving at santiago one of my friends runner said oh you know it feels like when we're entering through the gates there should be music you know <laughs> and sure enough there was there was a guy and there was playing flamenco and there was a woman singing flamenco and it was the most beautiful way to arrive at santiago and when we arrived the pilgrims mass was over and i was so upset i said i wanted us to arrive and walk into the church and do the pilgrims mass together and they were like oh well you know everything is as it should be manuela chill and i said okay okay the next day we went in and um the priest was speaking in Spanish, so Davina was translating for all of us, and he said, some people say that the Camino begins in um, Saint-Jean-Pierre-de-Port, that some people say that, but it truly begins in Lourdes, and that's where I met you, right? And I hadn't wanted to go to Lourdes, it was my husband who convinced me to go to Lourdes. I said, I'm not Catholic, why should I go to Lourdes as part of the pilgrimage? He goes, you're so close by, you should, you should do it. And I thought, yeah, he's right, let me do it. And actually Lourdes was magical, as you know. Um, <clears throat> and then when we arrived at the church, the priest said, you know, the pilgrimage actually begins in Lourdes. And that mass is, he said, this mass, um, and the Camino is not just for Christians, it's for Muslims, he said, it's for Jews, it's for everybody. And it made sense for us to be, have, be at that particular Mass because it was St. Bernadette's Day. And we had started in Lourdes. So this is the magic that I'm talking about, the synchronicity of events that just, you know, you sometimes... Um, you, you want to believe or you don't want to believe but sometimes things happen that just you can't deny you know and there's no factual evidence because you can never convince somebody through facts that god exists it's through experiences like this that you know there's something greater and you know why not why not believe in that who does it harm nobody just a, it's that those beautiful spices that we add to foods that take them from something that is just to um to make sure that you are fed and that you have your nutrients and it takes it to a, a, a sublime experience where you just, it's kind of almost, um, it's so much more than just feeding your body. You, 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 all the, the coming together of all the spices and, and beautiful food, you know, and then when it's cooked well, and it's just more than nourishment for, for your body, it's just, mm. and then coming together of people which makes the whole experience like that. So that's, I think that in life, I feel that the allowing uh, divinity to be part of my life is, is elevating my life from something that is just 
the motions of everyday life to something exquisite. That is beautiful. I don't know if you remember, I was sending you messages while you all were on the train. Yes, yeah, they were very powerful prayers. <laughs> Thank you, but um, that was divinity again, because I, you know, I went there for my own pilgrimage to Lourdes, and I just, you guys kept coming to my mind, coming to my mind. I mean, we met for maybe not even 20 minutes, and we have continued to be in touch, you know, 11 years, but I, I just felt this, you have to pray for me. I was like, okay, okay, okay. And when I hear about Davina telling about feeling the archangel protecting her, I'm like, okay, thanks. You know, I never heard the story until now. So yeah. that's really, really beautiful to me. Well, um, I used to read your um, prayers and I used to get the chills from them because I just felt like they were so um, powerful um, with such authority, you know, that these were like, oh, anyway, it was just, uh, it was, it was beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for sharing that. I never knew that. <laughs> Praise God. This is good. Um, I, I so miss you. I'm so glad to see you like on Zoom and be on Facebook. Um, so tell me a couple things with your work that you're doing. Are you teaching virtually? Are you working with students with art that way? Um, during this time, do you mean? No, I have been, I've, I've, I've been thinking about it a lot. Um, but um, I haven't felt really comfortable about videotaping myself and putting it out there. And, and that was, and that for the past couple of days, I've been thinking about why, because the minute we were in lockdown, I said, I should do this. And I haven't. I don't know. I'm not doing anything virtually at the moment. Well, you know, if you're supposed to, you will. And the divine that is alive within and around you will empower you to make whatever choice, as long as you're open. You also have to have the courage to, to listen to that voice. So, you know, inspiration comes to you. We call it inspiration. You have these ideas, and um, but then you have to be willing. And I haven't been. And um, so I have to kind of explore what it is um, that it is uh, that's keeping me back from doing it. And also to trust that, you know, I have to, I kind of have to sit with it and not rush into it. So um, I'm sitting with it and we'll see. You have time, you have time. And you're in Cyprus, right? Yes, I am. Okay. And so what is it like in Cyprus now with your lockdown? Can you only go out for essential items and food and exercise? Yes, um, they made it much more um, stricter last night. Um, they, um, we're allowed to come out once a day um, for either going for a walk or exercise, walking your dog or going to the pharmacy or getting essential items from the supermarket. They have a list of things and we have to send a, a text message to the government and they have to send a, a text message that they approve you leaving. And we are on lockdown. We are not allowed. Curfew is from... 9 p.m. to 6 a.m. That's new. It started today before uh, we could have gone for a walk at midnight if we wanted to. Um, and everywhere we have to keep two meters distance, obviously, from everybody. Um, yeah, it's sensible. It's, it's sensible stuff that we have to do. And, you know, it's what they did in China to, in order to, to stop everything, you know, from for the stop the virus from spreading. So, you know, we have, we know what we have to do. And so we just have to get on with it now. 
Yeah, we actually, I'm in Maryland, and we just had, uh, like, I think we have a curfew that started at 8 p.m., so we're on this lockdown until further notice. You can only go out for essentials, and um, you can't linger. You have to go, do what you have to do, and come back. We're mm -hmm. not to one time a day, but I suspect that there might be some progression of that. Um, we have, we didn't have a stay-at-home order until yesterday, um, before it was asking you to stay at home, but now you're ordered. Police can stop you and arrest you or fine you. Yes, um, they, they are fining um, people who are out. It used to be 150 euros. Um, as of um, today, it's 300 euros if you're out and you haven't and you shouldn't be, you know, if you haven't done the proper paperwork or the text messaging. So, and there's, you know, every day we have a few hundred that uh, are being fine. <laughs> yeah, we, um, our fine in Maryland is $500. And I think for businesses, it might be like $5,000 if they're cheating to operate when they're not supposed to, something like that. I, I, I can't remember exactly. It's a little early. Um, but uh, my hope is that it, it works to do what it needs to do. So what advice would you give someone who's dealing with this uh, time and they're uncomfortable with it? What advice would you give them? That you have to remain informed, but there's a difference between being informed and being inundated. I, I limit my time to, I watch my news every day so that I know what's going on, but I don't watch it incessantly, continuously. There's just too much, too much going on. So you've got to kind of switch off a bit from everything. And I think that you really need to kind of celebrate this time that you have at home to do things that you've always wanted to do, you know, the clearing, you know, um, decluttering. Because, um, you know, when you do it in the physical realm, it kind of, it always, um, it moves into other, you know, into your emotional and into your spiritual realm too. And so it's important to declutter and clean, clean everything. Um, I hate cleaning, but I know the importance of it. I hate all the housework. But you know, I, if you don't say that to yourself, I've allowed myself to say it now, but you know, because I really don't like doing it. But you know, it's there's something about um, doing it with my husband and with my um, son where we're all working together and cleaning together and tidying together and putting things into order. Um, there's that. And then there's the other element, which is to just stop pushing yourself to do stuff all the time and just to sit down and enjoy a good book read a book you know how nice is that how nice is it to kind of just get on the sofa with a blankie and a nice book and a cup of tea and I've also um enjoying snacks <laughs> I've always I've been constantly on a diet because I'm always never quite where I, I think I should be and I just thought to my you know my scale has broken so I can't weigh myself so there's no way of me knowing where I'm at and it's actually the most liberating thing um and I'm just thinking you know in order my, my son said to me you know mum please make sure that we don't have the same like repeated dishes can we have a bit of variety because that's the only variety we have in life now and I thought that was really cute um and I said to him you know actually I think you know we bake and we have cake at home like I grew up with always cake and I found that um, I'm much more moderate in my eating and in my snacking now that I'm doing all this because I've actually I'm allowed myself and I'm not really bothered about you know 
the weight and the, all of that. And I just think there's, um, I think we're going to be able to look back on all this in retrospect and have a lot of wisdom from it. At the moment, we're still in it. But I think there's, um, and, and, and Mark, Stephanos and I were talking, that's my son, Stephanos, and um, he was saying, um, you know, this is historic, isn't it, mum? And I said, yeah, you know, it's going to be at some point in the future, you're going to look back on this and you will have learned so much, but you will also have fond memories from this. And bringing me back to the Camino, Nicole, who was on the Camino with us, the youngest member of the trip, she used to do this thing, which I loved, and I've carried it through in all my life. She, we'd be walking and, you know, something would happen and she'd go, do you remember the time when we were on the Camino and we sat down and this, you know, the puppy came and was playing with us. Wasn't that just great? And the puppy was playing with us at that moment. But what she was doing was bringing presence, you know, making us present in the moment and realizing these are the, these were the moments that we were going to look back, look back on and go, wow. So there's going to be, um, so I sometimes find myself going, do you remember the time I'm in the kitchen when, you know, when we were on lockdown and we had the best cakes the whole time through that lockdown and we had all the time to kind of just sit back and watch comedy shows on Netflix. I'm just watching comedies. I'm not watching the Armageddon stuff because I really do not need that in my head. Um, so we're just watching all these different comics and, um, just having a glass of wine at night it's so lovely so yeah being present i think and not to be think and not be constantly thinking oh i can't wait to, for this lockdown to be over because it will be the stuff that we look back on and say well wasn't that a tremendous time what you just said is incredibly powerful remember the time when in the actual moment to remain present we're always saying remember looking back but doing it to be in that moment and centering yourself, that is really powerful. Uh, just saying, remember the time when you thought you couldn't get through this and you did. You know, those things to build yourself up. That, that's yes. I love that. I love that. Mm. I import some of that. Now, question for you. Why did you move to Cyprus? Because you were in Bahrain before, right? I moved because it was the right move for my children, for our children. Um, I, have, I had never lived anywhere longer than five years in my entire life. I was born in England to a Greek mother and a Cypriot father. And in 1974, there the, the was a Turkish invasion in Cyprus. And so Cyprus was occupied by Turkish troops. The 40% of the people became refugees. And we were supposed to move back to Cyprus and it became, no, it wasn't gonna happen. And at that time, the Middle East was opening up um, and there was huge construction projects. And my father was an electrical engineer. So, uh, they, they tell me that there was a job opening for an electrical engineer in the Sultanate of Oman and they had no idea where it was so they put the map out on the kitchen table with their friends and they were looking to find the Sultanate of Oman and um, that's where it was and um, we moved there. My dad took the job and we lived in the middle of the desert in these prefabricated houses, camels going by, goats, um, scorpions everywhere and my mother would just be yelling every day put your flip-flops on you're going to get stung by a scorpion 
I grew up in the middle of the desert with nothing, nothing around me. And after five years there, then we moved to other places in the United Arab Emirates, Dubai, um, Kurfakan, Fujairah, Sharjah. And then I had a year in Cyprus and then two years in England and then America. And it just kept changing. And I never was able to, to put down roots. When I moved to Bahrain, I ended up living in Bahrain for 20 years and it became my home. Um, I met the most tremendous people there. It is an amazing country. Um, it's, it's a small island. Um, you think there's not, I mean, what could there be in this little island? But it's, it's the people. And it is an, it's an ancient island. It's the land of Dilmun. Um, there were huge burial mounds on this place. They used to bring... Um, people to bury them on the island of Bahrain. I think it has some kind of mystical kind of energy to it and it draws the most extraordinary people to it. And because we all don't have family, we become family to one another because we need that. We need that connection, don't we? So for me, I never wanted to leave Bahrain, never. But I just really knew that um, uh, my daughter was not having a good time in Bahrain, was uh, not feeling, she felt like she needed to put down roots somewhere, that she felt she truly belonged. And my, my marriage is, you know, I'm married to a Lebanese American. So, and he's, you know, traveled a lot too. So he, there's the Greek, Lebanese, Cypriot, the British nationality, the, I mean, my kids could have become American, could have American nationality too. It was just too much. And so um, Mark and I talked, my husband and I, and we decided that the best move was to settle our kids in Cyprus and to give them the strongest foundation that we could think to, to kind of ground them so that they could then go into the future and travel everywhere again and do all that and live wherever they wanted but to have somewhere that they're rooted and kind of a sense of identity and identity is really important the Lebanese writer I mean Malouf wrote a lot about identity because of the Lebanese uh, diaspora because of the, the 20 years of civil war in Lebanon and, he, and it talks and it's so important to be able to identify and I have to say that um, my kids really benefited from moving to Cyprus and so did I actually so did I because I didn't realize how much I needed that grounding myself too so yeah we moved to Cyprus um, to kind of put down roots so do you feel very anchored it sounds like it yeah, I really love living in Cyprus. It's um, like it's an island. There's the sea and the mountains. There are forests and there's seasons, which I missed when I lived in Bahrain. I speak the language. You know, we speak Greek. I'm very comfortable being different because I've always been. I've always been. I've always lived in a country where I was a guest. So as much as uh, when I lived in in Bahrain. I really understand the Arab mentality. I really understand the culture and I love it. I love it very much. Um, and I'm very, very comfortable in the Arab world. Um, and I'm comfortable not of, of, of accepting certain things and bringing them into my life and adopting them to become part of our family culture and some not. So when I came to Cyprus, I decided that I was gonna do the same because you cannot, unless you're born and raised in a country and, and you've never left and you've always lived here, you were never actually completely off the place. So my family, we're, we're, we 
we're Cypriot, yes, but we're not too. I'm really, really comfortable in taking whatever I like from the Cypriot culture and traditions and way of life and just rejecting what I don't. And also the laws in Cyprus, it's a European country. There's no censorship, you know. I can write, I'm writing poetry now and um, there are certain things that you're not legally allowed to do in, in um, the Middle East. You can't talk about politics, really. You can't talk about religion. Um, and I shouldn't, as a guest in that country, to be courteous, you know, and respectful. Um, you have to follow the laws of the country and you have to be respectful of the psyche of the, of the culture. Um, but in Cyprus, because I am Cypriot, I can say, screw that. I can say whatever I want and I can be in your face about it. And um, for me, the biggest thing, one of the biggest things that I got in living in Cyprus is the uncensoring of myself. Um, and um, it's like a rebirth. It's like a discovery of myself, that, of, of, of certain parts of myself that I never knew resided within me and that needed a voice and a place. Um, so that's been really enriching. And poetry, the, you know, the, 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 the community of poets in Cyprus is very, um, um, it's so friendly and warm and um, supportive because, you know, it's, it's, it's still budding, it's still blossoming, you know, and we're all really supportive of one another. It's just wonderful, really great. It sounds beautiful. Um, so your poetry, you said that you won second place in a poetry slam in Cyprus. Yeah. So talk about your poetry. You said you even wrote right before we started today. Tell me about your poetry. I've not, I'm not very familiar with it. Yeah, well, I never considered myself a poet. Um, what, in two years ago, what are we, 2020? In 2019, mm -hmm. yes, 2019. I'm so getting the dates mixed up, it doesn't matter. Okay, so there came a point where I moved house. And, in, and I moved house in February. I'd been raising two teenagers. Um, my husband was still working in Bahrain, coming and going. So I was raising them with him, but also with, you know, we'd only see him once a month. So uh, by myself a lot of the times in a country um, that um, I hadn't settled in yet. So it was really, really a difficult time and a lot of different things going on in our lives. And I remember that the straw that broke the camel's back was the moving, the physical exhaustion too. And I remember lying in bed and, and thinking, I just can't go on like this. I am, I'm just, what is the point? And I just couldn't stop crying. I was so exhausted, you know, I couldn't find, I couldn't find my pajamas. I had, was moving boxes and I took a shower and then I was like, I cannot find a clean pair of knickers and a pajama such as when I get to bed and it just broke me. And that was it. the floodgates open. I was crying and crying and crying and crying. And um, I had gone to see a therapist because it was all too much at some point. And she said, Manuela, but you write. This is so helpful to you. This is a tool for you. Write. Just write, 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 write. And you will you'll get out the other end. You'll, you'll figure out what you're feeling. You'll figure it out. You have inner wisdom. 
that's basically what she was saying so i said oh yeah you just start writing like what ashton said to me <laughs> and then i was like i can't find a piece of paper and a pen and then i i had an iphone with a note section i said oh, first world problems i'm so spoiled <laughs> so i started to write things that i was feeling and, and and it was just went on and on and on and i was wallowing in self pity and i knew it and i didn't care i felt so incredibly sorry for myself and this went on for a few hours and then i finally fell asleep and the next morning i did what i needed to do and then i started crying and writing again this went on for three days and then this one and at the end of it this poem came out from beginning to end i do not remember writing this poem i don't remember how it happened but it came out and i was like damn that's good that's a good <laughs> poem where'd that come from and i didn't think anything of it but, but i realized that through the writing over three days i was starting to heal i was starting to feel better and uh, my friend Sylvain called me and she said, you know, um, Manuela, there's a poetry slam competition going on and your son Stefanos, he raps. He would love it. Ask him to join the poetry slam. So I went to my son Stefanos and he said, Mom, I've told you a million times, rap is not poetry, just leave me alone. And I said, no, no, but it is, you should. And he, no, I'm not doing it. So I said, okay, fine, I'll do it. And I call up and I say to them, um, I'd like to join the poetry slam competition and the lady Nora says to me one person has just withdrawn so we have one place it's yours and I got off the phone I went like she didn't how could she just accept me I'm right here with the poet she had no idea what I'm doing I mean did she not know that I'm a complete imposter just, how could she say yes and I thought, oh my gosh, what have I done and I was and I was thinking I don't even know what poetry slam is I don't even know what slam poetry is. So um, I couldn't sleep that night. And then in the end, I just, in order to get to sleep, I said, Manuela, when you wake up in the morning, you will call and you will withdraw and go to sleep now and just get on with it. So I did. And I woke up in the morning and I just sat at the edge of my bed and I remember thinking, wow, that's a whole lot of fear for something that, what's the big deal? It's just a poetry competition. So it must mean you really want this. So you better get your act together and find your spine, get a spine and just do it. So I went online, looked up what Poetry Slam was, and I thought, okay, maybe I could do it. Maybe that poem that I wrote could be the one. I called up two of my friends, Anna and Kathleen, and, and they were both drama coaches. And I said, I'm going to be performing this poem, and I have no idea. First of all, listen to the poem. Tell me if it thinks any good and how I should do it. And they were like, yeah, yeah, you've got to do it. So um, just that's all I did was memorize this poem and perform it day and now while I was cooking I was just saying and I went and I did um I did the yeah so it was 2018 and I did the I went to the poetry slam competition and I stood there and I and I did my poem which is I read romance which is basically me talking about how I the Arab Spring had happened in Bahrain and our lives were completely changed because of the Arab Spring and um it no longer felt safe to live in Bahrain um and I read romance to get through it it was my complete escapism because you know when you read romance you know there's going to be a happy ending and love exists and hope and it kept me going so this was this poem that I performed and I remember standing that there performing it and when I finished I was like I nailed that I felt yes I did I said it and I felt heard and seen for the first time in what was like three years. I wasn't invisible anymore. And it was the most empowering thing to have in three minutes 
to have said all these things that had been boiling and rubbling inside of me and just brewing in there. I said it in three minutes and I said it artistically and I performed it and I was heard and seen and people were coming up to me and saying, tell me about what are you talking about? Why are there tanks? Why is there burning tires? Why are the gas cylinders exploding in your poem? And what's going on? And so I was able to talk about it. And that was the beginning of the the biggest healing for me it was like a light switch and then I just continued writing poetry and last year I performed in the poetry slam again and I only had the one poem because <laughs> I didn't think I was going to get through to the finals in any way shape or form because I hadn't the year before either and I just thought you know I'm just doing it because I love I love poetry and I love performing and but I made it through the semi-final so I didn't sleep the whole night and I had to re I write another poem and I did, and um, I got through, I, was sec I won second place. And this year we were supposed to do the Poetry Slam on the 23rd and 24th, but obviously because of the coronavirus, it was postponed and that's happening in June. Um, and I'd love to represent Cyprus for, in the European Poetry Slam because the winner um, of the Cypriot Poetry Slam represents Cyprus in the European Poetry Slam and then at the UNESCO, poetry slam and I would love to be able to represent Cyprus you know there are many wonderful poets in Cyprus though so it's competitive I'm so proud of you that's awesome thank you thank you I want you to represent Cyprus the Cypriot and Cyprus also so thank I am you. praying for you I'll hold that in my heart for you so we talked about a lot of great stuff. Is there anything that I haven't asked you that you think people should know about you or that you need to share? Well, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I, I want to do intuitive art with people uh, and to be able to offer this to them as a gift in especially um, want... <laughs> I want them to experience how powerful the process of creating art intuitively is because it's so much more than art. It's not really even about art. It's about self-discovery and self-awareness and um, connecting to oneself, which is what you talked about. This is what happens when you paint intuitively. Um, and I want to be able to go out and do that. I want to be able to do that with teenagers. I want to be able to do that with women. And I especially want to do that with poets and writers. Um, it's a whole other way of, of writing. When you paint and when you paint like that, and then you do writing based on that, intuitive writing, it's such a powerful process. And it really helps you to develop your authentic voice um, and to express yourself in an authentic way. Because I think a lot of the times when I went to art school, you so many different things are drilled into your head in order to create good art and this is a is is is, is you abandon all that you abandon it all and all you do is is yourself expressed and then there's the and it's a practice it's something if it, you wouldn't meditate once and become a meditation expert you wouldn't practice mindfulness for 10 minutes or an hour or two hours and then become an expert there the same with intuitive painting is a practice the more you do it the more it spills over into your life because one of the things that you have to do with intuitive painting is to switch off the critic you have to and become alert to it so when we're painting, we're saying you're not doing it right. Um, you you you're really bad at this. Why did you think you could do art? Well, once you're able to kind of recognize that you, this is the the language that's going on in your head, this 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 
terrible emotional abuse that we do to ourselves, then you can realize that you're doing this in everyday life, in whatever you're doing. And once you're able to, once you become aware of that, you can learn to switch it off and be kinder to yourself. And by being kinder to yourself, you're kinder to others. And you give permission for others to to be more creative to and and to be themselves you know because the judgment goes and so you start to shine and your light becomes brighter and whatever we know what happens when there's a there's one candle in a room you know darkness can't exist there and you kind of you have that light and when you when i think about the greek orthodox orthodox mass at easter on easter saturday when we go to midnight mass there is one light um the candle uh, the priest holds a candle and the whole congregation is in complete darkness and we're all holding candles and at the moment when when the priest starts to chant and say christ has risen from the dead he lights the people next to him and everybody lights each other's candles and suddenly we're on fire we have full light because we've lit each other's candles and I think that's a beautiful metaphor for what we can do for one another and I I feel like when in in doing these workshops these intuitive art workshops I can be um, a candle I don't want to sound conceited in any way I have this little candle I have this little way of, of doing of, of doing something and I want to share it I just really want to share it so um, that's what I would like. I would like to go forward in my life doing more of that, doing these workshops more and just connecting with people and just showing them something and then them moving on and connecting and doing the same for others so that we can have that congregation of people with light, you know, that's what we're here for. We're here to light each other up, you know, to give, you know, St. Francis said it is in giving that you receive and he's absolutely right. It really is how um you receive and so that's what i would like to do um with my life that's beautiful now just for people who don't know what intuitive painting is what is that is it just you put something on a canvas like whatever comes out of you naturally you don't have I don't, I don't actually use even canvas because it's the minute you have a canvas it becomes precious and it becomes something that you could frame and we work basically with our hands and with uh, paper there and it's all about the process as opposed to the product so basically um, my degree is art education and one of the things that you do when you're studying um, for that is um, you do you learn about the artistic development of children and children kids you've all seen it you know they will get a pen or crayons and they'll start scribbling and if they don't have a pen they'll take a stick and they'll draw in sand and if they don't have that stick they'll draw with their finger in sand us creating marks is intrinsic to our nature we are all we all want to leave our marks and we see it with the cave people how they they left marks in these caves so we and we don't know what the point of them were was it spiritual was it just you know you know because we're talking about people's survival we're not talking about people who were you know had the um, the Louvre Museum. These are people who are hunting and tr trying to stay alive, you know, basic thing. So we have that. 
Um, and also when we see children drawing, a lot of the times they draw and they don't look, they have their head turned, but they're doing this motion. And they draw because it feels good to the arm. So in intuitive painting um, or intuitive art, when I'm teaching it, I'm saying, can you just allow yourself to kind of um, experience and explore mark making in the same way that a child would? And again, we come back to Christ saying, you know, let the children come to me. Unless you are like a child, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. The, we have a lot to learn from children about authenticity and about um, non-judgment and about being present in our bodies. And, um, and so can you create marks with your fingers without anything that interrupts the connection between you and the paint? And, the, and it's immediate, you know, it's completely immediate you put your hands in the paint and then you start to paint and you paint what feels good to your hand and the paints are pre-mixed um, so you don't have to think about how do I make colors because this is not necessary for artists this is this is for people and so the colors are all there you can just rub your hands with the paints and do and you create marks and you don't judge the marks because at the end of the day who cares? So I would say that um, intuitive painting is the visual equivalent to journal writing. So when you write in your journal, you don't do that in order to get published. You don't want to, you're not writing a novel, you're just writing something that's within you that needs to be expressed. And so I say with intuitive painting, you are just creating marks that need to be expressed. And when we look back at our journals, there are some very dark things that we've written that represent a time when we felt dark and the next day maybe we're light again we don't judge it you know we just allow it so instead of wanting coming to intuitive painting with the idea of creating a masterpiece you're creating that which needs to be expressed at that particular time without judgment without saying this is so ugly or this is so dark what does that say about me am i disturbed am i depressed am i the, no it just is and then nobody walks outside and judges their shadow it is a necessary it's part of who we are we cast shadows because that is light and dark you know and that's our internal landscape too and that needs to be expressed why would we suppress it why would we say no and smile all the time and say this is <laughs> no when you're doing something so deeply personal as intuitive art you're doing it because you have, to, you have something that needs to be expressed. And so that's what we do with intuitive art. And it's a very powerful process. Some people think that you're finger painting. Yes, we're finger painting. It's very powerful, actually. It is. And um, what I usually do after we've done all the painting is then I give them a writing exercise that they do. It's, you can either do it or not do it really it depends on what you want to do how you want to approach this but with the writing exercise you can decipher all those symbols and uh, things that you have painted because when you paint intuitively you tap into your subconscious it bypasses all that and it goes right to the heart of what you're feeling and it's um it can be quite um shocking um you go really all that is in me all of that and really what ends up happening a lot of the times is the things that we write are so poetic and lyrical and people go I never imagined I could write like that or it's so gut-wrenchingly dark and you go I, I didn't know I had that in me
but you know it's 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 wonderful it's wonderful it sounds wonderful and you're wonderful so i know it has to be um how can people get in touch or follow your work and find out if you decide you want to do the virtual i have a website i'm on instagram on facebook um i can i can send you all those links and things and my website is manuelamavramichalis.com and everything's connected to that twitter instagram facebook the art space mm-hmm. um on facebook and the art space cypress on instagram okay. um, but from my website you could get to all of that uh-huh. really okay maybe easier but it's a ha the ch in my last name is a ha okay. well that's beautiful you know there's so much that you've talked about and you've been awesome and you have such a wealth of experience you're a beautiful soul i'm Thank glad you shines through and i'm hoping that the people will hear it as I can see it. So you're a beautiful person. Thank you so much for giving your time. I know you had calls coming in and even in the midst of being busy, you made time for other people and that is love and that is a gift. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you for um, giving me this opportunity and it's actually just so wonderful to, to talk to you just and to reconnect after so many years. It is. It is good to reconnect beyond Facebook. We'll have to Zoom again. But um, God bless you and your family, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Thank, Thank you. you. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Manuela Monrovejales. She is quite an amazing woman. Here's some poetry from Manuela. I have lost my tribe, my family, my friends, the people who helped shape me into the woman I am. I have lost all the roles I created for myself, the labels I've collected, the good mother, the faithful wife, the loyal friend, the artist, the writer, the teacher. The life I so carefully and lovingly constructed has crumbled to the ground, a demolition site after the carnage of a wrecker's ball. I am a refugee in my own country, yearning for a promised land that does not exist. I am a lone figure in an ocean of people, people who speak the same tongue as I, yet we do not speak the same language. So who am I now that the countless layers of self have been peeled away one by one? What remains? What defines me? At times, I am hollow. I curl into a tight ball and crawl into bed, unable to face another day. At other times, I catch a ray of light. And in that fleeting moment, I know exactly who I am. I am nothing and everything, belonging nowhere and everywhere, alone yet together. I am the particles that make me up from dust to dust, insignificant, small, yet so much. 
I know I must learn to trust the path, but it is so hard, so deep, so long, and I am exhausted. The sharp curves along the way disorient me. The steep inclines, I must find the strength and stamina to climb, overwhelm me. The gaping potholes that rattle my bones and jar my heart discourage me. Somehow, I must find hope again. Hope that I will find my home, the ephemeral place where I belong to it and it belongs to me, my Ithaca. For now, I must surrender to the journey, find beauty in it, learn to love this hobbled road that is my own, my very own. But there will come a day when the scars which I once regarded with shame and disgust will mark my triumphs, forever etched into my skin and soul, singing out my victories, and they will declare I am the hero of my own life. I will not be subdued. I will not be defeated. I will not bow down to adversity. I am equal to you, life. I will wear my scars with pride and show them to the world, for there is strength in vulnerability and power in humility. For now, I am a seed cocooned in my mother Gaia, healing, hibernating, exactly where I need to be for now a monastic blessing of silence and solitude. And it will suffice for now. But soon, soon. For now indeed, Manuela. That was amazing. I love that poem. I hope that the listeners will love it as much as I do. Manuela is a woman of great courage. She's an adventurer. She's a mother, she's an educator, she's a poet, she's an artist, she's my friend. It's an honor to call her my friend. Today, she not only showed her strength, but she showed her vulnerability. And that's something that we can learn from. Use intuitive art, whether it be writing or painting, to get your sense of self and to propel yourself forward. Take adventures, exercise self-care, and most importantly, live authentically. Manuela is available at manuelamanuelahollis.com. You can also find her at that same Manuela Manuelahollis on YouTube, or you can visit her on Instagram at the Art Space Cypress. Thank you so much for listening to God and Matter. Our next episode, 109, features the McCants twins. They're story writers for children, but also they're educators, which is so amazing. God and Matter is produced by Arlie Speaks Media, LLC. All rights are reserved, and I do encourage you to subscribe to our channel on YouTube or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. We are distributed at YouTube and also by castbox.fm. For more information about God and Matter, please visit our website at godandmatter.com. Thanks so much for listening. 
and until next time, be well.